I just felt like I got to say something about this whole coronavirus thing. So, you know, as a result of, of this virus thing, Veronica and I are not going to Thailand, which is kind of a, yeah, a disappointment. Um, I'm, I'm looking at it this way. I don't have to sit on an airplane for 24 hours twice to get there and back, but, uh, we are sort of, yeah, you know, victims of, of a lot of what I consider to be a lot of panic. And I wanted to say something this morning because I, I want to remind you as God's people that we are not motivated by fear. Okay. The, the amount of panic and fear around this thing is bizarre. It's utterly bizarre. Yesterday, there was a headline on global news. The coronavirus is sweeping the province of Alberta. There are two people who have it. Two. Oh my goodness. Like, you know, I, listen, I'm not a medical professional. I'm sure Pastor Yvette will have a little more to say next week. I'm sure this thing is not fun to catch, and I'm sure that it's not good. But can we please just relax? Not go buy up all the toilet paper and hand sanitizer that you can possibly find. A hand sanitizer, I get toilet paper I'm, having, I'm struggling with. I don't quite get that one, but maybe maybe it's too much information if you explain it. But you know what I did think I would do this morning? Just give you a little bit of a sanity check. So when H1N1 went through Canada, 3.5 million people got it. But it's sweeping the province when two have it. Uh, anyway, um, I'm a little cynical, I'm afraid. Uh, you know, please just be at peace. Wash your hands. You know, be wise. But be at peace. And uh, a little humor to end it off. You know, I got a kick out of it. Several of the, the Catholic churches around the world, uh, like the, the main diocese and archdiocese, and, and I know the United Church the same, saying, no more handshaking in church. Um, you know, bump elbows instead. And then we hear Health Canada saying, when you sneeze, sneeze into your elbow. Am I the only guy that doesn't make sense to? I don't know. It's just a little weird. All right. You know what? He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Amen? And, uh, you know, though a thousand may fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, it will not come near me. That's my confession, and I'm sticking with that. Amen? All right. Enough said. Let's get into the Word this morning. Five principles to get God's blessing going in your life. And uh, Linda figured it out. When I put Psalm 23 up last week, she said, oh, my cup runneth over. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe. I still don't get it. I've been looking at it all week. I still don't get it. That's all right. We'll have we'll have Pastor Scott explain it next week when he's back. They get back on Thursday, by the way, and uh, so you'll be uh, we'll we'll all be glad to have him back home. Second Corinthians chapter nine and verse eight. I love this verse, and every time I read this verse, I hear my grade seven English teacher scolding me. For all the superlatives. Now, I was quite an exaggerator when I was a teen or a young teen. 
But I love this verse. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Now, let me read it to you just a little differently. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And my grade seven teacher would have said, take about five of those seven out of there and you'll be a, a, a lot more. And yet, that's God's word. So I did a little digging, a little investigating, and, and I kind of paraphrased it there for you. So it says, God can pour out blessings in astonishing ways so that you're always ready for anything and everything, having more than you need for all the good things you need to do. That's what God's saying to us. Now, here's the question. What's up when it doesn't seem to be working? Oh, it gets really quiet all of a sudden. Am I the only one that sometimes reads this verse and then says, huh, well, I don't know about that. Then I look at my bank account, I look at my stack of bills, I look at my mortgage, I look at the world around me, I look at the unemployment rate, I look at all kinds of things, and I say, huh, I don't know about that. And yet, I want to tell you that this verse very much is my testimony. God has always provided every last thing we needed. I have never one time been short. Now, I've had less than I thought I would have liked to have had. There have been times where I would have been happier not to be quite so tight. But God has always provided everything for for us and for me. But you know, there are people who have tithed, they've given offerings, They've done all kinds of things. In many ways, they've sort of done everything right, but they don't seem to see a real harvest in their lives. And so I kind of want to poke at that today a little bit. And, and I want to just um, talk about some of the principles that we've got to have right in our lives if we're going to see God's blessing flow to us like it should. I don't remember who the who the preacher was, but... Uh, he said, you know, we want to we want to get under the spout where the blessing comes out. But there's something to that, right? We've we've got to be positioned in a place where we can actually receive God's blessing. I think sometimes God's pouring his blessing out and we're just not in the right place to receive it. So I want to just kind of unpack that a little bit this morning. What, is, what does the Bible say about it? And we're going to look at the life of Abraham and Isaac to, to see these principles that we've got to follow. You know, the Bible says in Galatians 3.14 that the blessings of Abraham are ours. The blessings of Abraham have come upon us through Christ. What are the blessings of Abraham? Well, let's just identify a few of them. You know, in Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make you a blessing to others. You know, that's interesting. You know how you are great? You're great when you're a blessing to others. That's one of the things that God said to Abraham. I'm going to make you a blessing to others and I'll make you great in it. Protection. 
Genesis 15, 1, God says to Abraham, do not be afraid. I am your shield and I am your great reward. I will take care of you, even when there's a new virus. No, it didn't say that in the Bible, but. Genesis 24, God blesses Abraham with abundant wealth. Abraham was wealthy to a point that I don't think most of us can even comprehend. I love the story of the seven kings that came to overthrow Sodom and Gomorrah. And they completely wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham takes his employees and wipes out all seven kings and gets his nephew back. Just his staff. Like, hello. This guy had... had capacity beyond what most of us can understand. The biggest blessing of Abraham, James 2.23, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Abraham was God's friend. Man, what a great... Would you like that said of you? I sure would. I mean, Ron was God's friend. Wow. Abraham was God's buddy. Like God just, and, and you know, we know the stories. God just showed up sometimes and had dinner with him and they just yacked about stuff. What an amazing legacy. What an amazing guy. And if you study the life of Abraham and Isaac, you find out they didn't come into those blessings automatically. They had to live according to some principles. And those same principles have got to be lined up in your life if you're going to walk in God's blessing. And so (laughs) if we don't see 2 Corinthians 9, 8 working in our lives, then it's possible that one or more of those principles are not in good order in our lives. And so I just kind of want to spend a little bit of time this morning looking at those principles and figuring out what they are and how we get them into place in our life. Now, before we get into them, i got to kind of set the scene. So, Genesis chapter 20, and you you can kind of, if you've got your Bible, if you can kind of page along, but I'm not not going to read the verses because it just isn't time. But Abraham's wandering around in the promised land, and he ends up in this place called Gerar. And Gerar is down on the south end of Israel in what today would be modern-day Palestine, and it's in the Philistine territory. And while he's there... Uh, he has this kind of weird arrangement with Sarah, his wife, where she agrees to let him introduce her as his sister. Now, you know, if there are other men that want to kill Abraham to get her, he says, well, she's my sister, and that way they'll just take her and not leave, and leave him alone. Like, it's weird, okay? And the craziest part is, Sarah's 90. So some of you ladies that are, you know, thinking, wow, man, I'm just not so sure. Listen, Sarah was 90 and Abraham was still worried about the king stealing her and killing him to get her. Like, again, this is blessing, right? This is living under a level of blessing that I'm not sure all of us have quite put our our thought to. Okay, so the king of Gerar, a guy named Abimelech, takes Sarah into his harem, right? He thinks she's his sister, so he figures she's safe, right? So then God shows up in a dream that night to uh, in, in Abimelech's dream and basically says to him, you're a dead man. You so much as touch that woman, I'll wipe out your entire kingdom and kill every one of you. There won't even be a memory of you left. 
And he's like, no, nah, I didn't know. It was a, she said it was my, you know, sister. Like I was, so he gets up early. He calls Abraham in and he says, what is with you? Like, come on. So then he, he, he gives Sarah back. He, he kind of, you know, makes some restitution with a big gift and he tells his whole nation, you so much as touch those people and, and we'll, you know, do not touch them. Don't touch that man. Don't touch his wife. Leave them alone. And then, the king lets them live anywhere they want to in his land. And in the very next chapter, the very next verses, Isaac is born. Now, Abraham and Sarah had been believing for a child for decades. Like, we're, we're talking, you know, probably 60 years. They've been trying to have a child, and they can't. And it's very, very significant that at the point when Abraham gets this deception dealt with in his life, that's when he sees the fulfillment of the promise. Now, Abraham stays in that Philistine country for a long time, and he's still living there when God asks him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. So that's 14 or 15 years later, somewhere around that, that he's still living in Gerar. He's still living in the place there. And then they move back to Canaan, somewhere in there. And if you go all the way now to Genesis chapter 26, by now Isaac is over 60, Rebecca's about 30, both Jacob and Esau are already born at this time, and there's a famine in the land. So where does Isaac go? Well, he heads back down to Gerar. And um, God says to Isaac, you stay here in Gerar, and I'll bless you here. So the men start to ask him about Rebecca, his wife, and guess what he says? She's my sister. It's like, kind of, it's definitely weird. There's no question about it. So Genesis 26, verse 8, this is so cute. Abimelech, likely a son of the earlier king, who probably still remembers Abraham and his so-called sister, um, keeps really close tabs on Isaac. And the Bible says that he caught them He was watching out of the window, and he caught them. And the King James Version is so cute. It says, Abimelech saw Isaac sporting with his wife. They were making out, okay? Like, I mean, because he calls Abraham in, and he said, or sorry, Isaac in, and he says, gotcha, that is not your sister. You don't behave with a sister like that. That is your wife. What is wrong with you crazy guys? Are you trying to get us all killed? Are you trying to make your God mad at us? Like, what is going on here? What's this whole sister thing? And when Isaac gets that straightened out, there's this really cool verse in Genesis chapter 26, verse 12, where it says, Then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped a hundredfold. And the cool part about that is it was still a famine. And yet Isaac sows in the middle of a famine, and look at God's blessing. He gets a hundred times, a hundredfold return, a massive bumper crop in the middle of a famine. Once he got the deceit figured out, once he got it sorted out, he was able to receive God's blessing. So let's talk for a few minutes today about five principles that will get God's blessing going in your life. Number one is this, it's place. And they all got to start with the letter P. I'm going to do this, this kind of preacher thing today, okay? Place. Are you in the place where God wants you to be? You know, that might mean your physical location. 
Because look at what God says to both Abraham and to Isaac. He says, stay here. This is where I want you. You know, another example of that is the prophet Elijah. Again, there's a famine in the land. God says to Elijah, go to the brook Cherith. I've commanded the ravens to bring you food there. Now, you can go wherever you want, but the ravens are going to Cherith. You know, skip the dishes is delivering the bagels to the Cherith. You, you can go wherever you want, but if you want food, go there. And there's, there's this place that God wants us to be. You know, after the brook dries up, and Elijah's sitting there, and God says to him, go to a widow in Zarephath. I've commanded her to look after you there. It's amazing to me how many times God has specific places and times where he wants to do things. And if we land up in the wrong place, we can miss it. And, you know, that can mean more than just your physical location. It can mean your occupation. It can mean your place of employment. It can mean the relationships you have and other things. You know, I, I don't know how many times while we were pastoring uh, in, the, in the other church in, in the West End, how many times people would move because they had an opportunity to get a better job and then you'd hear from them two years later and they weren't going to church, they weren't really walking with God anymore, Life had kind of gone sideways for them. And you'd say to yourself, I wonder if they'd have just stayed here if they'd have done a whole lot better. You know, they, they, they followed the job instead of following God. I've watched people do that with churches. I've watched people get offended with a church, pack up and move to, often to some great big church where they can hide in the back and nobody notices them. But in the meantime, they walk out of the place where God is bringing growth and correction and, 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 you know, new thinking and, and renewing of their minds to them. They walk right out of God's blessing when they, when they walk away from a spot that's uncomfortable. Are you in the center of God's will as best as you know it? And specifically, are you in the place that He wants you to be? Because if not, that could be part of the reason you're not experiencing the blessings that you hope to experience. The second thing is pattern. So if you're fairly sure that you're in the center of God's will, and that I'm talking about where you're located and how you're connected, then the next thing to start looking at is whether or not there are some repeating patterns in your life that are not pleasing to God. You know, the repeating pattern in Abraham and Isaac's life of not being willing to be the protector of their families cost both of them God's blessing until they set it right. Getting it right released God's blessing to them. There are good patterns and bad patterns to our lives. There are patterns that are godly and there are patterns that are devilish sometimes. The godly patterns don't prevent you from receiving the blessings. They get you into the place where you're opened up to receive them. But it's those negatives, sometimes even devilish patterns, that are the problems. Patterns of marital breakdown, for example. Have you noticed that very, very often, kids from divorced parents also end up divorced? 
Now, I know they didn't have the, always the benefit of a, of a good, stable home, but you know, there's a family curse that can start to, to take hold in those kinds of things, and it builds up this cycle of broken relationships over and over and over. I know in counseling, there are many, many times where you counsel with someone who's just had this series of abusive relationships in their lives, and they just seem to go from one abusive relationship to the next, to the next, to the next. And they can't seem to break out of the pattern. Patterns of sexual infidelity or sexual abuse. Patterns of drug or alcohol abuse. Both Abraham and Isaac were prevented from receiving God's blessings until they broke the patterns that were causing them to walk contrary to God's ways. Now what do we do about those patterns? How do we break those negative patterns in our lives? Well, first of all, we've got to determine to change. I've said it before, but repent means more than change your behavior. It means change your mind. We talk about repenting, but really, it's such a simple definition. Repenting just means agree with God. It just means when God says, listen, that's wrong, we say, yes, God, I agree, that's wrong. That's what repenting means. So many of us, when we, when, when God puts his finger on something, we try to justify it. Well, it's not that bad. I mean, you know, come on, God. God, have you ever noticed God doesn't negotiate on those things? We've got to repent and agree with God. Number two, you know, if it's really a pattern that is ingrained in you, seek deliverance if you need to. Take authority over that pattern and the demonic strongholds that cause them to repeat in your life. You know, some of that stuff, you know, it's interesting that that some of the the teaching about, you know, demonic deliverance and that kind of stuff has fallen out of vogue in the church. Have you noticed that? Boy, in the 80s and 90s, the church was very, very much aware of the fact that there was demonic stuff going on and that we needed to take authority over that. We needed to learn how to walk in a place where we just said to the devil, you don't have any right in my life. You're to stop that. You're out of here. The blood of Jesus cleanses me. Somehow that's fallen out of vogue. I sometimes think that, you know, can you imagine if, if, if a, if a, a burglar could get into your house and steal stuff from you, but do it in a way where he convinced you he wasn't real. You know, as he's taking all the pictures down off the walls, you're like, hey, where are you going with that? Ah, just go back to your book. I'm not even here. Oh, okay. They rob you blind and you never know what happened, right? But isn't it interesting that that's what so often the devil does to us? He convinces us that he's not actually real. Oh, come on, Pastor Ron, there's not a real devil. That's just metaphorical in the Bible. Yeah, well, you hang on to that, see how that works for you, because it doesn't work for me. And sometimes when there's those patterns in our lives, what we've got to do is we've just got to take our, our place as an authority. We've got to step up and we've got to say, no, I'm not receiving that in Jesus' name. Jesus is stronger than that pattern. Jesus is stronger than any demonic oppression against my family, and we're not having that. It's about that simple, actually. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, a third thing that we can do to break those patterns is begin to actually be honest about the fact that, hey, I'm struggling with something, and I need prayer. 
You know, it's amazing to me how often I'll find out as a pastor that somebody has been going through all kinds of challenges and, and, and hell in their lives. And it isn't until it gets to the point where they just cannot take it anymore, they finally come up for prayer. You know, the Bible says, listen, we don't do life alone. That, that, that slogan for our church, don't do life alone, that's, that's biblical. Go and find a brother to walk with you. Go and find someone. Confess your faults to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Hey, brother, man, I just need some prayer. I'm really struggling with some stuff in my life. I could preach a whole, I could preach a whole message on that. And then replace negative patterns with good ones. You know, you know how they, <laughs> how it's always said, you don't try to, to get rid of a bad habit, you substitute it with a good one. And that's true of some of those negative patterns. Instead of trying to beat the negative pattern, substitute it with a good one. Discipline yourself to do something different. The third principle is purity. If you're in the right place and you don't see any negative patterns, then what? Well, you know, Abraham and Isaac had to get the deceit out of their lives before they could move into God's blessing. I kind of pointed that out to you in the story. And the question is, what do we have in our lives that isn't pleasing to God? And, you know, it doesn't even have to be, quote unquote, sin in that sort of black and white, right and wrong sense. It could be things that God's told us he wants us to do that we're just not doing. Or it could be things that God has asked us to, to, to stop doing and, and we just kind of keep on doing them. It, it could be the way we use our time or, or perhaps the way we waste our time. And we have to keep a pure heart before God. Are we quick to agree with God about our thoughts and our behaviors? Do we make ourselves pliable when God tries to change us? Or do we resist and argue and justify and come up with excuses? Now, let me say this. Don't make the mistake of trying to invent something so you've got something to repent from. You know, there's a verse in 1 John, I think it's chapter 3 and verse 20. So let me just check here, yes. 1 John 3, 20. It says this, you know, if the Holy Spirit does not convict us, then we're clean before the Father. That's an important thing to remember. When you're thinking to yourself, God, are there things that, that, that are not right in my life? You gotta know the Holy Spirit is gonna be very quick to point them out to you if they're there. Don't invent them. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in those things. If the Holy Spirit doesn't convict us, then we need to set, or, you know, that, that, uh, that we have something, then we don't need to worry. But if he does, if he starts to put his finger on some things, then we need to set those things right in our walk with God in order to get into that place where God's blessing flows to us like we want it to. Now, number four is perseverance or persistence. And if we go back to Genesis again and just kind of think about this, it's very interesting that in, in the stories after the ones I told, um, there's, there's a, a kind of a, 
an issue that starts to come out between Abraham and Abimelech around a whole series of wells. And Abraham's dug a bunch of wells, and Abimelech's servants have filled them all in and kind of chased Abraham away. And so then he backs up and he digs another well, and, and um, you know, they fill it in, they steal it. And um, Isaac, as he sort of takes over his father's estate, he begins to dig up all of his father's wells again. And one by one, the Philistines steal them all. They They just take them over. And finally, Abimelech shows up again because he realizes that uh, Isaac is very powerful and so he wants to make a peace treaty just like his father had with Abraham. And in that process, Isaac digs another well and like his father, he names it the Well of the Covenant. But you know, it's a very interesting thing because you can look at this two ways. You can say every time they dug a well, the Philistines filled it in. Or you can say every time the Philistines filled in a well, they just dug another one. Just depends on how you look at it. Every time the Philistines dug a well or filled in a well, they just dug another one. Philistines filled it in, they dug another one. Philistines filled it in, they dug another one. You know, I've said it many times before, right? Some problems you can solve, some problems you can get rid of, and some problems you just outlive. And sometimes some of those problems in our lives, we just have to hang in there longer than the problem does. God's going to come through. God's going to deal with it. Now, what if you've been giving and tithing and following God's direction, but you just don't see results? Well, let me give you a couple of things in this area. And I mentioned I was going to talk a little bit about giving and tithing. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a good time of year, actually, to be thinking about tithing. Because I'll tell you what, what Veronica and I do. We get our T4 slips and we get our, our tax receipts from the church and we lay them side by side and we say, did we give 10%? And, and we're pretty diligent about making sure that we give better than 10%. So it's always, it's always right. But we always compare. We always make sure. And you know, there's something about, again, obeying God in those areas where God says, give the tithe. And... You know, I've, I've done plenty of courses in theology. You don't want to debate me on this one. Oh, Pastor Ron, tithing is under the law. Eh, you're wrong. Actually, tithing was 400 years before the law. Tithing is part of the covenant of Abraham, which is the covenant that we want to live under in Galatians when it says the blessings of Abraham come upon us as Gentiles when we become Christians. Tithing is part of that covenant. That's the covenant we want to live under. So, well, I think tithing is Old Testament. Well, you know, it's very, very interesting that we always talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament, but I'm going to confuse you a little bit now. The New Testament's actually, the New Covenant is actually the Old One. And the Old Covenant's actually the New One. Because the covenant with Abraham to bless us and to make us righteous if we stand in faith, right? Remember that Abraham believed God, and because of his faith, it was accounted to him as righteousness. That happened 400 years before the covenant of the law, which came under Moses. So really, when Jesus came, he fulfilled the covenant with Moses and restored us back to the previous one. 
So really, we've all got our Bibles labeled wrong because it should be the New Testament is the old part and the Old Testament is the new part because the Old Covenant is the one we've gone back to. And that's the one where Abraham started by tithing. So now that I've messed up all your theology, let me say a few other things. If you've been a tither, if you've been a giver and you don't see response, couple of thoughts. Number one, are you sowing your seed in good soil? Are you sowing your seed in good soil? You know, one of the things I watch for, if I'm going to give to a different organization outside of the church with some of our offerings, I don't put seed into a place where most of my gift goes to their administration costs. You know what that's like? That's like a farmer who's, who's, who, who's going through a tough time because there's a drought, and instead of buying more seed and planting more seed, he buys a bigger combine. Or builds a bigger barn to park the bigger combine in. That's like what you really need is more harvest. Make sure you're sowing your seed in a good place. Now, another thing, you know, and yeah, let me just point to this. Isaac planted in famine and got a hundred times. So if God says to you, give over there, give over there. Okay? Give where God tells you to give. Second thing is, I would encourage you to sow in your home soil before you sow in faraway places. It's a whole lot easier to reap a harvest on your own farm quarter than it is to have to go clear across the country to get to the place where you're going to harvest seed. Now, years ago, when the television was more popular, people gave to televangelists. Today, they give to their favorite podcast pastors. And you know, it, don't stop giving to those guys. That's great. But don't give your tithe there. Your tithe belongs here. Let me give you a reason why. When you go through a rough time in life, who do you phone? Your favorite podcast pastor or Pastor Scott? See, the problem with, you know, let's use the digging wells analogy. The problem with digging wells that far away is that you've got to, you're going to die of thirst by the time you get to the well to get water. You want your wells dug right at home. Some people say, and I've heard this literally, I do tithe. I send 2% to this ministry and 2% to that ministry and 1% to this. And we give a 1% to the outreach center and I take another 2% and we buy meals for the homeless. And then, you know, what? and it's like, wait a minute, that's not your tithe. Those are offerings. We've got to give tithes and offerings, the Bible says. Your tithe belongs right here. You know, pastors are often really chicken to teach on tithing. So, as an associate pastor, who does not get a salary from this church, because I have a great job, and God provides for all of our financial needs through my great job, and now Veronica's great job, I don't have to worry about you thinking, oh, Pastor Ron just wants a bigger salary check. Because I don't get one anyway. And pastors are sometimes afraid to talk about tithing because they're afraid that people are going to say, well, he just wants more money. And you know, the old style church thing is, God, you keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. Simply Put your trust in God's faithfulness if you've been tithing and you don't see a response. Put your trust in God's faithfulness. I guarantee you that God will come through. 
You know, I did this when we were pastoring in the West End. I got in a little bit of trouble over it, but I, I just did it anyway because I just, it was in my heart to do and I knew it was a God thing. I called it God's money back guarantee. I said, if you are not a tither, tell you what you do. You just write God's money back guarantee on your envelope and we'll keep it separate. We'll keep your envelope separate. And if after 90 days of you tithing, you say, Pastor Ron, it's not working. We'll cut you a check and give you your money back. Now, those of you who know me, you know I'm just a little bit of a, of a, of a, you know, I, I can be a little bit rogue once in a while. You know what? I never ever had anybody come back and say, I want my money back. In fact, I had people who said, I'll never stop. I can't believe how God is blessing us. Last thing I'll say, and then we'll get back to our our five principles. Here's what tithing is really doing. Tithing is a declaration. You say to God, God, I believe that you can do more with 90% than I can do with 100. That's what tithing is. Tithing is giving God 10% and saying, God, This is my declaration to you that I believe you meet my needs, not my paycheck. You meet my needs, not my employer. You meet my needs, not my own industrious ingenuity that gets money in the door. That's what tithing is. It's a declaration that God is going to meet my needs. And let me tell you, he always does. Amen. And don't come up to me afterwards and say, well, pastor, I don't believe in all that time. Because if you come up to me to tell me that, you're not a tither and you wouldn't know. Right? Because the only people who ever say, well, I don't believe in all that stuff are people who don't tithe. Because they've never experienced God's blessing when they do. How many would say amen to that? All right. There we go. Let's move on. Number five. Priority. All through the life of Abraham and Isaac, you see a clear pattern of priority in their lives. You know what you read over and over? You read, they built an altar to the Lord. They moved here, they built an altar to the Lord. They went here, they built an altar to the Lord. They went over here, they went over here, they went over here. They built an altar to the Lord. Every place they stopped, they built an altar to the Lord. There's a priority in terms of worshiping God there and putting God first in their lives that is absolutely critical. In many places it says they built an altar, they pitched their tents, and they dug a well. Often in that order. They built an altar, they pitched a tent, and they dug a well. They kept their relationship with God and their families well ahead of their desire to build wealth. You know, my dad used to say, the problem is too many people pitch their altar and build their tent. Too many people just say, hey, I'm going to build my kingdom first. And then when I have enough, we'll figure this serving God thing out. Boy, let me encourage you, do it the other way around. It's so much more successful. Serve God first, and then figure out how you're going to look after your own your own things. Keep God first. Keep your family in right priority. Don't put your job first. Don't put your needs first. Put God first. 
Then the last thing I'll say today is this. Offer the right sacrifices on that altar. Don't try to bargain with God. You know, let me give you an example. How many have read the five love languages or you understand what some of that's about? Okay, just just wave at me. So, okay, so here's the thing with the five love languages. If Veronica's love language, and it is, is acts of service, then it's the acts of service that I do around the house that bless her. Now, if I say, well, yeah, but my love language is different. My love language is gifts and touch. So I buy lots of gifts and I do lots of touching. I'm not meeting her needs. You know, here's the thing. God has laid out a prescribed approach. And he says, this is how I want you to serve me. And you know, it's very interesting. We can say to God, well, I know that's the place you want me, but couldn't I just go over here instead? I know there's this pattern in my life, God, but you know what? I, I mean, I don't think it's that bad. God, I I know there's this thing, this purity thing. I've got some motives that aren't always right. Maybe I've got a temper, but I'm Irish. Or maybe I just give up too soon. Keep your priority right. Keep God first. Keep focused on serving God. Don't give up up don't let go seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will get looked after keep your priorities where they need to be and God will make sure that his promises take hold of you you know there's a verse that I absolutely love it's in Jeremiah and it says this it says God commands his blessings to overtake you So, you know, my imagination runs a little wild with that. I see myself trying to run away from God's blessing, and God's blessing is just like, ah! And that's the picture that the verse is painting. You, You cannot outrun God's blessings. God will care for you. He will look after you if you keep those things straight in your life. Amen? You know, you might be here this morning, and you've never given your heart to Jesus. And, you know, all of this begins with a relationship with God. All of this, all of the serving of God, all of the, the, the blessing of God, all of God's care for you and his, his watching over you, keeping us safe, the fact that we don't have to fear some crazy virus floating around, that all begins because I've got a relationship with God. God is my Father. And that begins when I open my heart and ask Jesus to come into my life to forgive me for the things I've done that were wrong and to restore me to a place of walking with God. And if you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor Ron, I, I, I want to I give my life to Jesus today. Maybe you're listening on a podcast and you say, Pastor, I, I'd like to know how to give my life to Jesus. You know, I'm just going to pray a very simple prayer in just a moment. That's just a prayer of inviting God to get involved with your life. And if you're here and you say, Pastor Rana, I'd like to, I'd like to pray that prayer with you. Or maybe you're listening on a podcast. You can pray that prayer. I'm just going to ask everybody here to pray. 
the prayer just goes like this. Heavenly Father, this morning I want to give my heart to you. I want to choose to live my life your way. I want to ask you today to come into my life to forgive me for the wrong things that I've done and to help me to live for you from this day forward in Jesus name now you might be here and say Pastor Ron I prayed that prayer with you and if you did would you do something for me would you just lift a hand and wave at me and say I prayed that prayer with with you today Pastor Ron those of you who are listening on the web those of you who are here if, if you prayed that prayer and you need a Bible, you need extra information, you need to know a little bit about what it means to serve God. You can come up and talk to me. You can talk to Veronica. You can talk to one of the uh, the ushers today. We'd like to put a Bible into your hands and just encourage you if you're here, if you're listening on the web, you're welcome to, to reach out to the church and we'll help you get connected to a church that will help you to, to know how to serve God more fully. Let's all stand and let's just sing together a closing song. Then I'll come back and pray and we'll be dismissed.
God, first of all, again, I just want to thank you that we do not need to fear, that we can look at the circumstances around us and know that you have us protected. You are watching over us. Father, I thank you that you have the plans for our lives in the palm of your hand. And Lord, I pray for each one this week that you would direct us into the places you want us to be. Father, that you would show us the patterns in our lives that we need to reinforce and the ones we need to deal with. That you'd bring purity to our hearts. Father, I thank you for the, the perseverance to hang in there, to stick to it, and to just hold on until such time as you come through. And Father, I thank you for the, the, uh, the, the ability to keep our priorities right, to keep you in first place. Not to put riches first, not to put safety first, not to put security first, but to put you first. And Father, I thank you that you have promised that when we put you first, you put us first. You watch over us. You provide for us. You care for all of our needs. And we thank you for that this morning. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. That would have been a good place to, to say amen or to give God a hand clap. Amen. God is good today. Amen. All right. Well, next week, Pastor Scott and Yvette will be back. So you don't have to put up with me anymore. And uh, have an awesome week. God bless you. And we'll see you next week.